I'm just delighted to see your faithfulness, and uh, oh, it's just such a joy to be here with you. It's a joy for be joined by those of you who are at home. We celebrate your faithfulness as well, and really, I was just thinking about that as I was looking around and uh, seeing as, as uh, the morning kind of just went a little bit more and more faces, and knowing we're joined by those uh, at home, and I just think about this verse from 1 Peter, according to his... Uh, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And really, when we are here each Sunday morning or you join us from home, it is a celebration that we are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And so praise God for his great faithfulness to us. Uh, I know many of us uh, know those uh, who have walked away from the Lord. Uh, By his grace, uh, we are continuing, and that is only by his grace, and we are great recipients of his grace, and we continue in faith. We're going to be in the book of Hebrews this morning. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. Uh, just as a reminder, and it's a good reminder for me, because I obviously forgot, but we're going to be celebrating the Lord's Supper. So uh, uh, if my wife could bring me <laughs> up my little cup there, so I have it. Uh, but we're going to be celebrating the uh, Lord's Supper here this morning. If you have your Bibles, yeah. If you, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Hebrews 2. We're finishing the second part of a two-parter on why God the Son became man. So it's a, been a neat way to think about uh, Jesus' becoming man over this Christmas holiday. I'm going to put this on the ground. Hopefully I don't step on this uh, during this Christmas holiday. I'm going to read Hebrews 2, 14 to 18. And really, ultimately, we'll have seen four reasons why uh, God the Son became man. Hebrews 2, 14, 18. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it's not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you for uh, bringing us uh, your son, and thank you for him partaking of flesh and blood. And this passage is just so full of your great grace to us. And, uh, Lord, we pray that we'd be humbled as we see that we were so undeserving of being brought to God, that we would have hope as we see the great high priest that Jesus is, that we would learn to go to him ever increasingly to find help in time of need. Uh, Father, your help is communicated through your Son, through his Spirit to us, and so we ask for your Spirit to do in our hearts what we can't do. In Jesus' name, amen. The uh, book of Hebrews is a defense of the supremacy of Jesus. It is about the greatness of Jesus Christ. And it was written so that first century persecuted Jewish Christians who had put their faith in Christ wouldn't return to a Judaism that was without Christ. Being a Christian was becoming hard. 
people were being persecuted. And the temptation was to, to, to go back to all the ritual and the scriptures, but just leave out Christ. The first chapter of Hebrews examines Jesus' superiority over the angels as the Son of God. Chapter 2 then deals with the question, well, if Jesus is superior as, as God the Son, well, what about him becoming apparently inferior to men? You know, he looks inferior to the angels since he became a man. So chapters 2, verses 5 through 18, explains why Jesus added to his infinite deity finite humanity. Last week we examined what verses 14 and 15 say about why God the Son became man, why he partook of flesh and blood. We saw in verse 14 that becoming man, God the Son, through death, destroyed the power of the devil. And that, uh, the, the idea be, there being as he's the devil's destroyed is not that he is eradicated, but that now he has no claim to us as Christ fulfilled the law and paid the punishment of the law, the punishment that the law demanded. Verse 15, we saw that through death, Jesus delivered us from slavery to the fear of death. And for some of us, that is demonstrated through us just being afraid of actually dying because we face judgment. For some of us, it might be more like, oh, I feel the clock ticking and time is running out. Am I getting all out of life? Am I experiencing everything? Because I know that death is coming. So we experience that fear of death in different ways. In verse 16, the author of Hebrews draws a conclusion from Christ becoming man. He says, For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. The author is stating the obvious, and he knows it. That's why he says, For surely, and, and, and it could be translated, of course. For surely, of course, it's not angels that he helps. Jesus didn't come to help angels. The word translated, Help means to take hold of. And the word can be used in, in either kind of a, with, with a positive or, or a negative connotation as determined by context. We can see it used in some negative ways. And I think this shows some of the force of the word. And really we're going to see that, that force of the word is good news. In uh, Acts 21 verse 30, it says, Then all the city was stirred up. And this is to talking about how they responded to Paul in, in, in the city of Jerusalem. And the people ran together. They seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple. And that word seized is that word to take hold of. Translated here in Hebrews 2.16 to help. It's also used in a negative way in Acts 21 verse 33. The tribune came up and arrested him. They seized him. They took hold of him. It's also used in a positive way. We see in Matthew 14 verse 31. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold hold of him, that's Peter, saying to him, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? As Peter was sinking beneath the waves, Jesus reaches out and takes hold of him. He helps him. Mark 8, 23, Jesus took hold of a blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? That was Jesus helping by holding this, this, this blind man. And it's with that positive sense that this word is used here. Hebrews uses, the, the, the author of Hebrews uses the same word in Hebrews 8, 9. And he's quoting here from Jeremiah 31, 32. Saying, when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. And talking about God rescuing Israel. When I took them by the hand. And that's that word hold or help. 
And the ESV and NASB translate this, this word in this positive sense in Hebrews 10, 16, as helps or gives help. It's the word that you would use if all of a sudden you're walking with your child and you see them starting to, to walk over the edge of, of, of something too high or falling into water when they can't swim. And you reach out and you grab their hand to hold on to them. Or you can imagine one of those scenes in an adventure movie where the person's hanging on to the edge of the cliff and someone reaches out to hold on to them and to bring them up. Jesus came because we needed help. Jesus came to take hold of us. We were helpless and we needed help. Genesis 3, 8 through 10 describes some of the devastating effects upon, of sin upon Adam and Eve's relationship with God. Listen to what happened. When they heard the sound of the Lord God, which is probably the pre-incarnate Son of God, when they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden of the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Here, from they used to enjoy fellowship with God, and now they're hiding from God. The Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? God knows he's giving man a chance to come out. And he, he said, well, I heard the sound of you in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked. And I hid myself. See, he was no longer walking in the garden with God. Man, Adam and Eve were no longer enjoying God. No longer glorifying God. No longer trusting God. No longer happily obeying God. Relationship with God had been ruptured, destroyed. Aware of their sin, Adam and Eve hid from God. They were unworthy of God's presence. They were terrified. They were ashamed. They were cursed by God after and expelled from the garden. Christ came to take hold of man because our sins have separated us from God. Our sins have separated us from God. Humanity is broken. And that's the third reason we'll, we'll, we'll looked at in this series, the first reason we saw in verse 14, Christ became man to destroy the power of the devil. Hebrews 2.15, that he would rescue us from lifelong slavery to death. Verse 16, we saw that he holds, but here's the, the, the third reason, verse 17. God the Son became man to bring us to God. God the Son became man to bring us to God. We saw in the Garden of Eden that they were separated, that they were distanced from God, hiding from God, ashamed. God the Son became man to bring us to God. Verse 17, I'll read it again, says, Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Therefore, taking hold of man required God the Son becoming man. The problem of our sin was so immense that the only answer, the only answer was for God to become man. The verb to be made like doesn't uh, mean in itself that he was made exactly like man, that he was made man. It could mean that he was made comparable to man, but the author of Hebrews knows it could mean that, so he makes it super clear by adding in every respect, in verse 17. God the Son was truly human in every respect, as every one of us here, except that he was sinless. 
Hebrews 4.15 talks about God the Son, Christ. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus was just like us, except for sin. God the Son became truly human while perfectly sinless. He had the limitations of being human. Now, that doesn't mean he wasn't God, but as a human, he was limited. He felt human emotions. He experienced human pain. He had human desires and human needs. God the Son became man so that, in verse 17 says, he might become. Here's the reason why he became man. So that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. In the Old Testament, a priest is a mediator. Someone selected to go between God and man. Because God is holy and just, sinful people cannot enter into his presence without mediation. They, they, they need a go-between. The people of Israel recognize this on, uh, on Mount Sinai. It says in Exodus 20, verses 18 to 21, Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, and this is the picture of God making himself known, revealing his presence on Mount Sinai, the people were afraid and trembled, and they stood afar off. It's a very different scene from the Garden of Eden, but they're doing the same thing. Like, we need to get away, we need to hide. And the people said to Moses, Exodus 20, verse 19, you speak to us and we'll listen, but don't let God speak to us lest we die. See, they understood why mediation was necessary. Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. What you're feeling is a good feeling, Moses says. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. They needed a mediator to go between them and God. A priesthood was God's way of allowing sinful men to have a relationship with a holy God. In the Old Testament, the high priest was the one descendant of, of Aaron who had access to the Holy of, of Holies, the place where the Ark of the Covenant, the tent within inside the tent, the throne room of God. And that priest had access into that Holy of Holies once a year, only once a year, on the Day of Atonement when cleansing was made for Israel's sin. As high priest, Jesus is the mediator, the one who represents man to God. Unlike other priests, Jesus, both God and man, is able to touch both God and men. Like that, like that is unlike the, the, the high priest in the Old Testament, represented this kind of mediation. He made atonement, but that atonement needed to be made each year. And he had to bring a sacrifice for his sins as well. But that is not the high priest that Jesus is. As God and man, he stands behind, between God and men. Verse 17 continues, Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become and it says, a merciful and a faithful high priest. Those are two beautiful words, merciful and faithful. Jesus is merciful. He is sympathetic. He is compassionate. And he is full of pity. He is concerned about us in our need. As God, he is the perfect mercy of God. 
Exodus 34, verse 6, the Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And that is the God who our high priest Jesus is, merciful and gracious. Jesus demonstrated this mercy on earth for people's physical needs and for their spiritual needs. Matthew 15, verse 32. Then Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. Jesus had compassion. He had mercy on the hungry crowd and then he feeds them. Luke 15, verses 12 through 13, such an incredible picture of Jesus' mercy. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. Jesus touched him to show his mercy to him. He didn't have to touch him to heal him. He shows his compassion, touching the untouchable. In Luke 7, verse 13, this is the uh, widow of Nain whose son had died. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said, do not weep. Luke 19, 41 to 43, Jesus has mourns over the city that has rejected him. And when he drew near and saw the city of Jerusalem, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they're hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side. Jesus wept for those who rejected him. Oh, there's so many more. There's all those who cry out, have mercy on us, son of David. And so what does he do? He has mercy. And if you call out to him for mercy in need, he will have mercy. He delights to have mercy. He is merciful. His heart overflows with compassion to you. Jesus is merciful, but he's also faithful. Jesus has has faithfully fulfilled his duty as high priest. Hebrews 3, verses 1 and 2 describes Jesus. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him. Jesus, in his ministry as high priest, was faithful to God. He did what God had appointed him to do. He was faithful as a mediator. He did all that God required. He had no failings. But he's also faithful to us. He faithfully represented us. He's faithful in the service of God and the things pertaining to God. Jesus is the only priest we need. He accomplished mediation between us and God. A human priest adds nothing to what Jesus has accomplished. He is faithful in his ministry to God in that service as high priest, but he's also faithful to us, and this is why we can trust him. He is merciful and faithful. The author goes even further as to why God the Son needed to become man, this merciful and faithful high priest, and it says... To make propitiation for the sins of the people. Humanity needs more than representation. They needed propitiation. They needed for God's wrath to be satisfied. For God's wrath to be turned away from us and to be poured out on another. And this was pictured in the Old Testament through the sacrificial system. as God's wrath was satisfied temporarily 
on an animal. But that wasn't going to pay for our sins. Just a temporary. We need propitiation. And propitiation is God's answer to man's sin. The offense of our sin against God needed to be forgiven. But that's impossible without God's judgment being given. Our sins needed to be forgiven. But God's judgment needed to be given. Propitiation is how the offense of our sin is removed. How it's covered through, 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 through substitution. Hebrews 9 verses 11 and 12 says, When Christ appeared as high priest, and then verse 12, He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of His own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Christ became man to serve as a high priest, not only to represent, but to be the sacrifice for our sin, the sin that was keeping us from God, so that we could be brought to God, that we might fulfill the purpose for which we were created, to love God and to obey God and to enjoy God and to glorify God. The guilt of our sin was keeping us from God. Romans 3, verses 23 to 25. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness. God was right in saving, but also right in judging. And this propitiation by His blood is received through faith. And that is what we do when we come to Jesus Christ as our Savior. We receive propitiation through faith. We say, I need His sacrifice in my place. I need Him to take the wrath that I deserve. And He becomes our only hope. Without Christ becoming man... God would be forever angry at your sin. We would know no forgiveness, not a bit of it. We would be forever guilty, forever hiding, forever at war, forever stained by sin, forever waiting for deserved wrath to fall until we experience that wrath forever. But God the Son became man to go before us into God's presence to make propitiation for our sins so that we can be cleansed, so that we can run into our Father's presence. Psalm 103, verses 11 and 12. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His steadfast love toward those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does He remove our transgressions from us. As far as the east is from the west, but that's only capable because of the, of the propitiation of Jesus Christ. Jeremiah 31, 34. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. And that is what forgiveness is. In His mercy... In his mercy, God desired us to worship him. He didn't need it. He's merciful. But God's justice demanded punishment for man's failure to worship him. Mercy and justice meet when God the Son became man to make propitiation for the sins of his people. So you have to ask, have my sins been forgiven by God? Have my sins been forgiven by God? We receive that propitiation through faith. 
That is how God reveals his righteousness. He can reveal his righteousness by destroying you forever and eternity, and that's his righteousness. Or he can reveal his righteousness by saving you and punishing Christ in your place. We receive that through faith. Has God the Son becoming man brought you to God? That is why God the Son became man. God the Son became man to bring us to God. But then God the Son became man to help us please God. After we've been brought to God, after we've been reconciled to God, God the Son became man to help us please God because we need help. That's why he came to hold us. Verse 18 says, For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. It says, for because he himself suffered. The author of Hebrews, and we don't know who it is, he probably has in mind Jesus' suffering when he made propitiation by dying on the cross. Right? So he probably has in mind, when, as, as, as he said, for he because he himself suffered, probably most has in mind Jesus' death. Jesus suffered throughout life, but his suffering was most concentrated at death. That was, that was the peak of his suffering. Really, all of the suffering he had experienced through life led to this moment. Just think about the emotional suffering that Jesus went through, the loneliness he felt in life, not just at the cross, but there, the disappointment, the, the ickiness of being used the being misunderstood, betrayed, rejected, abandoned, shamed, mocked, slandered. That is like the emotional suffering that we go through. Imagine the physical suffering he went through, really through a lifetime of physical suffering, just as we do. But in his years of ministry, this, the sleeplessness, Hunger, exhaustion. I can't imagine how much he suffered 40 days without food and water. And now, at his death, the beatings, the flogging, the crucifixion. The spiritual suffering that Jesus went through. Not just feeling abandoned by God, as we sometimes do. But actually being abandoned by God in the place of sinners. Righteous Jesus deserved no suffering. He didn't deserve how men treated him. He did nothing to deserve the Father's wrath. It says, For because he himself has suffered when tempted. Jesus' suffering was the occasion of his being tempted which can also be translated tested. And we've looked at it in James. It's the same word. Tested, tempted, tried. The word tested means to discern the true nature of something. And Jesus' suffering was him being tempted, was him being tested, was his true nature being revealed. As Jesus suffered, his, his righteousness was not only tested, but second after second was demonstrated. In the worst possible circumstances, Jesus remained faithful to God. Now, we need to be cautious when we think of Jesus being tempted. Being sinless, being holy, Jesus felt only disgust towards sin. Rebellion had no appeal to him like it can 
for us. We can think sinful thoughts and find them appealing. Jesus never found sin appealing. He was disgusted by it. Jesus never imagined how good it would be to to, to get revenge on someone or to give into lust. Jesus despised sin. And I've been thinking about what did it mean when Jesus was, was tempted? When tempted, Jesus could mentally appreciate what Satan promised, what sin promised, what, 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 what looked good. But the path, oh, oh, an example of that, it could be like the avoidance of suffering, the avoidance of pain, the end of rejection, a shortcut to glory. Really, if you think about it, all of the ways that he suffered, he would be continually tempted another way around that. But the path offered by Satan had no allure to Jesus. Imagine my saying to you, I'll give you a million dollars if you give me your child. Now, maybe on a bad day you might be tempted a little bit, but not really, right? right? You wouldn't really ever consider that, right? That's a disgusting thought. It's a repulsive thought. Can you appreciate the value of money? Yeah, could you appreciate the value of a million dollars? The worse debt you're in, the more that's going to look valuable to you. But, but the means to that are repulsive. Satan's temptation of Jesus, I think, was probably along a similar pattern. And we see that. We'll see in a second with Matthew 4. If you disobey God, I'll give you a good thing. Less suffering. Less loneliness, less shame, more glory to God. But the cost made the temptation repugnant to Jesus. We, we see this tactic with, with Satan in Matthew 4, verses 8 through 10. And this is the, 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 the third of the temptations. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And that's a good thing, the first part, all these I'll give you. Do, are all those going to belong to Jesus Christ? Yes, as God, those already belong to him. As king, they will belong to him. That's a good thing. But the way is disgusting if you fall down and worship me. Jesus was not tempted by the path. That wasn't a test to him. Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Jesus' testing was worse than any other endured by a human. Jesus had known eternal glory. Jesus deserved only blessing. He went through more mistreatment without giving into any sin. The, 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 the kind of testing that, that, that for us lasts a while, for him, it was unabated and it increased in, in fierceness. His strength showed that that temptation went stronger and stronger. And I heard a, 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 a word picture and a, a, imagine a bunch of trees and a, a, a hurricane comes. And it rips up some of those trees. And at 60 miles an hour, it rips up the weakest trees. At 80 miles an hour, it rips up more. 100 miles an hour, 150 miles an hour. But what about that one tree that stands at 200 miles an hour? 300 miles. I don't even know if that's possible, right? The worst storm ever. And it's still standing there. Jesus resisted the worst 
the worst testing, and he was faithful, and that's why he is able to help us. He's, he's, you know, like some people kind of think that Jesus would need to be a sinner to be able to help us in our temptation. Oh, well, he doesn't really understand. No, he understands because he said no. The longer he lived, the more he suffered, and the more deceitful Satan's schemes schemes began. The more Satan's arguments against the goodness of God would have to be fought with the truth of God's word. So Jesus reveals his strength and his ability to help us uh, through ever-increasingly intense temptation until finally Jesus trusted the Father while being forsaken by the Father. And that shows Jesus' perfect righteousness and his ability to help us. He trusts the Father while the Father is, is pouring out his wrath upon him for our sin. Because Jesus went through the ultimate testing, he is able to help those who are being tempted, who are being tested. His high priestly help is available to you today because he rose and ascended. He went through that, but now he's at the Father's right hand. Uh, and, and, and the author of Hebrews begins where Jesus is. Uh, and, and in Hebrews 1 verse 3, he begins the, uh, his sermon, really, his letter. He's already shown, shown where Jesus is. When he had made purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He has been resurrected. He has ascended into heaven. He is reigning over all. He is interceding for us. And he is there asking God the Father to help us in our time of need. Jesus wants you to stand fast in suffering. He wants you to resist temptation, and he is willing to give you all the help you need to remain faithful when tested. Jesus knows what faithfulness in testing requires. Jesus knows what it requires. He knows better than anyone how best to help you because he's the strongest tree. All the others have been ripped up. He's like someone who has, who has accomplished a task. He's like hiring an, an Olympic athlete to help train you. He's already won gold. He knows what faithfulness requires. He knows the humility that passing testing requires. And he will help you be humble. He knows what truth you need to resist temptation. He knows what faith you need. He knows what hope you need. He knows what love for the Father you need. He understands how to say no to sin and how to remain faithful. He knows. He knows how to say, Father, your will be done. And he knows how to say to Satan's lies. But my Father has said, and this is what you need to stand firm in your testing. To be like Jesus saying, Father, your will be done. And to say to sin, the Father has said, get away from me. Because God became man, Jesus has a unique perspective on what you need most. He is merciful, he is faithful, and he has withstood the test. He is victorious. 
Jesus is at the Father's right hand, interceding for you, eager to help you, eager to help you persevere in the testing you're going through right now, eager to help you reject temptation. And, and I would say, begin by cultivating God's disgust for sin. And I've been thinking about this. That this, is, this is the beginning of saying no to sin, is hate sin the way that Jesus hated it. He never dallied with it, right? He, he never kind of teased it. Oh, well, that would be nice, right? It was, it was appalling to him. Cultivate God's hatred for your sin and then listen to his truth and be hopeful like Jesus and faithful like Jesus and loving like Jesus. And he will help you do that. Because Jesus is your high priest in heaven, interceding for you, he can help you. If you have continued in the faith this far, it is because he has helped you. You are here this morning. If you are in Jesus Christ, you have continued to this day because your high priest has interceded for you. And he's not going to give up. God became man to bring you to God and God became man to help you please God. Will you make a habit of going to the one who can help you please God? Of going to your high priest and saying, Jesus, help me. Help me, Jesus. This sin is repulsive, but I, I am tempted to do life another way. Help me. In Hebrews 2.16, we start off by reading this. It says, surely, it's, of course, it's not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Jesus partook in flesh and blood so he can take hold of the offspring of Abraham. Now, being a physical descendant of Abraham was not enough. Matthew 3.9 uh, and John the Baptist said, Do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. The Jews felt so much confidence that, they're, they're, that they were the offspring of Abraham. John the Baptist, Jesus says... Uh, you were Abraham's children, you would do the works Abraham did, but now you seek to kill me. This is not what Abraham did. Being a descendant of Abraham wasn't enough. The true offspring of Abraham are those who come to God through faith in Jesus Christ. Galatians 3, verse 13 and 14 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. That is propitiation. For it is written, curses everyone who is hanged on a tree. Verse 14 so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Galatians 3.29, if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Jesus came to help the offspring of Abraham. God the Son became man to take hold of the offspring of Abraham, to grab you by the hand and to lead you into the promised land. He will uphold you with his righteous right hand. It is possible that the author of Hebrews, as he wrote um, Hebrews 2.16, had this verse from Isaiah 41 in mind. But you, Israel, this is Isaiah 41, verses 8, 8 and 10. But you, Israel, my servant, 
Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend, you whom I took from the ends of the earth and called from its farthest corners, saying to you, you are my servant. I have chosen you and not cast you off. Fear not, for I am with you. I have you by the hand. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I have you by the hand. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I threw in that. I have you by the hand. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. That's Isaiah 41, verse 8 and 10. Will you cry out to Jesus in your neediness? Maybe for some of you, that's to be saved. Will you cry out like Peter? Lord, save me. He will reach out and he will save you. In your temptation, in your testing, will you cry out, Lord, help me? 